This is Guns and Butter. And then you have to ask yourself, uh, when you look at that picture where they, you know, with all the heads of state and heads of government there, embracing and holding hands, the whole bunch of war criminals in there, in the front lines, okay? People who have ordered uh, the bombings of, of sovereign countries. And then, of course, there's the, the, the prime minister of Israel who's there, who's a, who's a terrorist. What is implied in that is that this community of heads of state and heads of government, which is responsible for terror acts and for supporting, covertly supporting and financing uh, jihadists. They're funded by the United States, uh, Turkey and, and, and Israel and so on and so forth. And then we have to ask ourselves, we have here an issue of state sponsorship of terrorism. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michelle Chosodovsky. Today's show, Who Was Behind the Paris Attacks? Michelle Chosodovsky is an economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization based in Montreal, Quebec. He is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism. His most recent articles are the attacks on Charlie Hebdo and the kosher grocery store, Israel's Mossad to the rescue, and police commissioner involved in Charlie Hebdo investigation commits suicide. Total news blackout. Today we discuss the unspoken truth supported by France, anomalies in the terrorist attacks in Paris and police investigation, state-sponsored terrorism, and the larger global geopolitical framework. Michel Chosodovsky, good to talk to you again. Delighted to be on the program. Twelve people were killed in Paris in a military-style attack on Charlie Hebdo, a newspaper known for running cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. According to McClatchy News Service, quote, the terror attack wasn't a total surprise. Europe, France, and even the newspaper have been preparing for such an attack for months. End quote. The suspects, two brothers, Said and Sharif Kouashi, French of Algerian descent, were reportedly gunned down near Charles de Gaulle Airport. A third suspect, Amadi Koulibaly, French of African descent, took 10 hostages in a kosher supermarket in Paris and was also killed by police. According to the New York Times, quote, the militants had been known to the police for years and had been closely monitored by the intelligence services, end quote. Where would you start in trying to understand these terrorist attacks? Well, the first uh, issue, I think, which is absolutely crucial if we want to understand uh, so-called jihadism or Islamic uh, terrorism, is that the United States and its allies have been supporting the jihadist movement, these terrorist cells, uh, since 1979, since the onslaught of the Soviet-Afghan war. Uh, amply documented, the French Republic, under the helm of President François Hollande, is supporting as well as funding al-Qaeda-affiliated terrorists in Iraq and Syria, as well as providing covert uh, intelligence support to 
al-Qaeda-affiliated terrorist cells within uh, France and the European Union. And I think what we have to emphasize there in the media's coverage of these tragic events is that there is a forbidden truth, uh, namely uh, the French public has not or is not aware, despite the fact that it's amply documented in the, in the European media, that their own government, together with the United States, NATO and Israel, while waging a self-proclaimed war on terrorism, are routinely providing covert support to the same terrorist entities which are the object of their, uh, both their humanitarian wars as well as their counter-terrorism operations, both at home and abroad. So that, in, in effect, what is happening now is that the French media and chorus are pointing to the jihadists. And in that regard, they're also supported by the Netanyahu government. And they say that the jihadists are a threat to freedom of expression. But in fact, freedom of expression really has been curtailed as a result of this event, because not a single me French media has had the courage of raising the broader issue of state sponsorship of terrorism and the, the role that the French government and its intelligence services have played in supporting al-Qaeda uh, affiliated entities at, at home and abroad. How were these suspects so readily identified? Well, this is something which is uh, somewhat mysterious because there's no evidence to the fact that the terrorists who attacked Charlie Hebdo are the same people as those who have been identified as suspected terrorists. As, as you mentioned, um, both Koulibaly as well as the Kouachi brothers have been on the radar of, uh, of French and European security services, uh, you know, for years now, okay? Uh, they're not unknown, and I would say that they are intelligence assets. Uh, but there's, there's certain very troubling uh, uh, issues uh, pertaining to, to what actually happened. And the fact that a lot of this is denied or simply not covered by the, by the, the mainstream media. Uh, first is the fact that, that one of the suspects lost his ID in the car, in the getaway car, and it was picked up by the security services. Well, that's sort of a, a déjà vu kind of occurrence. Uh, I mean, just so happens you lose your ID there, and then the ID points to the name of the terrorist. Um, that's one dimension. But the other uh, dimension is that uh, one of the main suspects, uh, Koulibaly, uh, actually, uh, back in 2009, had a meeting behind closed doors with the president of the republic, namely, in that time, it was Sarkozy. Okay? Now, you ask yourself, well, why is it that this individual who is, in a sense, a sort of uh, marginalized person, uh, you know, marginalized in terms of employment opportunities, in terms of education, um, struggling to survive in, in a ghetto, and so on and so forth. How is it that this person would have met 
the president of the republic behind closed doors. Now, I mention that. I mention that because I think it's, it's something which the media hasn't hasn't acknowledged. It's an issue which is confirmed by a press report uh, in in 2009, and we've we we brought that thing up. It's it's obviously relevant to to this uh, investigation. So um, there there are lots of inconsistencies in the in the you know in the official narrative and in press coverage. Uh, another issue which uh, I was particularly concerned with is that uh, one of the senior police officers in southwest France in, in, the, in the department of, uh, well, in the region of Haute-Vienne, the capital of which is Limoges, was actually part of the investigation team. And uh, he was actually... Well, I, I, I surmise that he was asked to participate in this investigation because uh, the Kouachi brothers actually spent their high school years, uh, etc., uh, in that region. They had lived in that region, and presumably his office, based in Limoges, was contacted by Paris and then said, well, could you look into this matter? The, the reports are so scanty, we can't, we can't say anything uh, definitive on that matter. But the, the issue is that that police commissioner uh, is reported to have returned to his office uh, on the same day when, when the, the attacks occurred. That was on the Wednesday. He went back to his office. Visibly, his investigation was local. Okay, It was not in Paris by any means. Well, I should mention, this individual ultimately this police officer who was commissioned to, uh, to undertake uh, an investigation actually committed suicide. And the circumstances of his suicide are the following. On Wednesday, as part of the Charlie Hebdo investigation, he dispatched a team of police officials under his jurisdiction. Okay? And then he is reported to have waited for their return, the return of his team for debriefing. And immediately following the police debriefing, he was involved in preparing his police report. Now, that's, uh, that's reading between the lines of, of the scanty regional press reports, because none of the mainstream media, uh, including Associated Press, Agence France Press, Reuters, Deutsche Welle, none of the European media, US media, none of the, of the French dailies actually reported. And they, they waited until Monday to actually acknowledge that this took place. And the, the reports that, that I've seen from the regional press, which nobody reads, actually, it's only, it's sort of local. Uh, what they say is that this guy was stressed. He had problems um, with his work. He, he, was, he was close to burnout and so on and so forth. And he, uh, he uh, spontaneously killed himself at one in the morning within hours of the police debriefing. Now, they also say about this individual, uh, uh, police commissioner uh, Elric Fredou, they say that he, he went to visit um, one of the families of the victims. Now, we assume that, that those families were in his jurisdiction, so, which is about 400 kilometers, 300 miles, let's say, from uh, from Paris, and uh, 
Uh, I haven't been able to find any evidence of him uh, having contacted the family of one of the victims, but the official story is that he met the family of the victims and then he got really depressed and ultimately committed suicide. Now, we've seen this kind of, of, um, of uh, suicide or accidental death of police officers. The Boston bombing, as you recall, two of the FBI, uh, uh, FBI officials who, who were involved in the Boston bombing investigation concerning the Tsarnaev brothers, well, they accidentally fell off a helicopter, both of them together, okay? Now, the, the issue is, did police commissioner uh, Helric Fredoux commit suicide? Uh, was he incited to commit suicide? Or was he an honest cop uh, who was uh, executed from within his, you know, the Francis judicial police system? Um, the thing is that if, if, if there had been freedom of expression in, in French journalism, you would have had a whole bunch of journalists who would have jumped on the opportunity. Um, it's called investigative reporting, and they would have come out with some understanding of what happened. And that's not what happened, because what happened was that his suicide, one of the main investigating police officials, there are probably many of them, but he was still within his region, he was in charge of that. Well, it was simply presented as, as something totally unrelated to the, the Charlie Hebdo investigation. Uh, they barely acknowledged the fact that he was actually involved in the investigation and that he just so happened to commit suicide and have a burnout uh, and it was suffering from depression, okay? So that's another, there, there are many of these um, very unusual circumstances, an ID discovered in the car, uh, leading to, uh, to a suspect, a police commissioner committing suicide, um, a kosher grocery store. Now that's another uh, element the kosher grocery store, because it, it was used by um, Prime Minister Netanyahu as a pretext and a justification to send uh, SWAT police forces and Mossad agents to France uh, to work hand in glove with, with their French um, uh, colleagues. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Who Was Behind the Paris Attacks? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Isn't that quite unusual uh, for another country, or is it not unusual for another country to send their own intelligence agencies and SWAT teams into another country to investigate a criminal act there? Well, there were, uh, well, there were at the moment of the, of the attacks, there were some reports to the fact that Mossad was, uh, was uh, involved. I, I, I have to rectify, there's absolutely no evidence of Mossad involvement uh, at the time of these attacks. Um, nor is there evidence of Mossad presence in, in, in France prior to these attacks. But um, I think that if we are to analyze 
the role of Mossad from a propaganda point of view, we have to address the fact that, first of all, the French police had launched raids on, on the kosher grocery in a Jewish neighborhood in Paris, which is Pont de Vincennes. Uh, it's, everybody knows where Pont de Vincennes is. It's at the, it's at the exit of Paris, uh, and, and, uh, and it's near Parc de Vincennes. Now, the reaction of, of the Israeli government is the following. Prime Minister Netanyahu confirmed on January 9, that's last Friday, okay, uh, the dispatch of an Israeli police SWAT team unit, which uh, was slated to work in liaison with its French counterparts. So uh, the Israeli SWAT unit was, quote, specializing in siege situations and rescue. And it is, again, quote, on standby, ready to travel to Paris to assist the French authorities resolve the siege of the kosher grocery store. Okay, so the grocery store is, in a sense, it has a sort of symbolic uh, meaning there, but uh, it, it points to the fact that some kind of a Jewish entity in uh, Paris at Bordeaux-Messin is threatened. And consequently, um, Israel uh, has a responsibility uh, to come to the rescue of the Jewish community in France. Uh, now, we don't have any evidence as to prior presence of, of these, these Israeli SWAT teams in, in Paris, but we have evidence that Prime Minister Netanyahu made this far-reaching statement. But there's something else, because in addition to the, the, the SWAT teams, okay, Prime Minister Netanyahu also ordered uh, Mossad to provide French officials, I'm quoting again, Prime Minister Netanyahu, quote, has ordered Mossad to provide French officials for all the assistance they need in tackling the ongoing terror situation in and around Paris, okay? And that's a quote from the Daily Telegraph. And, and essentially what this suggests is that, that Prime Minister Netanyahu has made his position official. Now, I would suspect that if he had ordered Mossad to provide French officials for, for all the assistance they needed, uh, that was last Friday on January 9, well, I would suspect that, that there might well have been Mossad agents on French soil uh, prior to, to the official statement, because France and Israel have a long-standing partnership. Uh, in other words, it's the partnership between Mossad and, uh, and the Direction Générale de la Sécurité Extérieure, the, and in other words, it's, uh, it's um, and previously it was called Le Deuxième Bureau, the Second Bureau. It's French intelligence. And they've been working in tandem for years. But you see, what Netanyahu actually said, it's very important from a sort of ideological perspective, uh, from a propaganda perspective. He said, and I quote, the attacks on Charlie Hebdo and the Paris kosher grocery store are a microcosm of a greater battle against jihadists, okay? This is a global struggle. And then he says, that's very interesting, bring to justice the Paris murderers is just the beginning. 
And, and as we know, they were all killed. They were suspects. They weren't even, there was no proof that these people were actually behind the attacks. They were suspects. But they made sure that they were dead, okay? They killed them. Uh, even though um, Prime Minister Netanyahu said, bring them to justice. But in Israel, they don't bring people to justice either. And, um, and then he says, and all of them seek to destroy our freedoms and to impose on all of us a violent medieval tyranny. They may have different names, but all of them are driven by the same hatred and bloodthirsty fanaticism. They bomb churches in Iraq, they slaughter tourists in Bali, they rocket civilians from Gaza and strive to build nuclear weapons in Iran. We have to fight these enemies of our common civilization. So it, it really is, a, is an appeal by, uh, by the Israeli prime minister uh, using this event to wage a massive propaganda campaign uh, to turn realities upside down because, again, the crimes, uh, the crimes in, in, in Iraq and uh, Palestine are committed by uh, the Western Military Alliance uh, and, and Israel. We, we know that. And the irony is that um, Prime Minister Netanyahu confirms and this was back in uh, just less than a year ago, that that the IDF, the so-called Israeli Defense Force, uh, actually supports Al-Qaeda terrorists, which are deployed in Syria through a base, a logistics base in the Golan Heights. Okay, and again, if you if you want to uh, to start looking at a play of words. I, again, I'll quote from the Jerusalem Post, and it says, North, Northern Command Major General Yair Golan uh, briefed Netanyahu on the presence of global jihad elements inside Syria, as well as on the work being done to fortify the Israeli border fence. Now, what they are saying essentially is that we support the jihadists in Syria. Okay, we support those terrorists because they're fighting the secular government of Bashar al-Assad, and we are providing them with with money and and logistics and so on and so forth, training. Uh, Mossad is involved in that as well, and um, we condemn. In other words, Netanyahu condemns jihadism, but he acknowledges. Global jihad elements inside Syria supported by the state of Israel. And, and, and then you have to ask yourself, uh, when you look at that picture where they, you know, with all the heads of state and heads of government there embracing and holding hands, the whole bunch of war criminals in there, in the front lines, okay? People who have ordered uh, the bombings of, of sovereign countries, uh, um, you know, uh, Iraq and, and Syria and Libya and so on. And then, of course, there's the, the, the prime minister of Israel who's there, who's a, who's a terrorist. And OK, so what, what, is, what is implied in that is that this community of heads of state and heads of government, which is responsible for terror acts and for supporting, covertly supporting and financing uh, jihadists, um, in complicity also with Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and so on. We know they're trained there, they're recruited, 
They even recruited from, from Saudi prisons. Then they set loose in Syria. They're funded by the United States, uh, Turkey, and, and, and Israel, and so on and so forth. And then we have to ask ourselves, uh, we have here an issue of state sponsorship of terrorism. The French Republic, under François Hollande, okay, is supporting as well as funding Al-Qaeda-affiliated organizations in the Middle East, in North Africa, in liaison with U.S., NATO, and Israel. And, and uh, at the same time, it is presenting itself as a, uh, as a government committed to uh, democracy, etc., etc., secular democracy. Those are the things which are simply not addressed. Uh, while the French media, in chorus, points to the threat directed against freedom of expression in journalism, namely Charlie Hebdo, Je suis Charlie Hebdo, not a single French media has had the courage of pointing to the issue of state sponsorship of terrorism by Western governments, but also by their own French government, which has funded uh, the al-Nusra uh, and the Islamic State uh, terrorists uh, in Syria and Iraq. And we know that the Islamic State is an instrument of the Western military alliance, and that, that uh, allied intervention in Iraq is not going after the Islamic State brigades, which could have been liquidated, you know, when they crossed the, the desert from Syria into Iraq. It's open territory. And they go in with their Toyota convoys. They could be eliminated. That's very, very clear. They're not interested in that. They're interested in bombing a sovereign country, destroying its infrastructure, and ultimately picking up the pieces because these countries have, uh, have very large oil reserves, uh, which are, uh, of course, slated to be transferred into into the hands of, of the oil conglomerates. Well, yes, there are reports of the U.S. dropping food and other supplies to these so-called ISIS fighters. As well, I've read about uh, Senator John McCain sneaking somehow into the area to meet with these militants. Well, absolutely. We, we've got so much evidence to the fact uh, that... Uh, the Islamic State is supported by the CIA. In fact, I mean, the Islamic State is a creation of, of, uh, of the CIA. So that uh, right from the outset, let's say in March of 2011, uh, I'm talking about the outset of the so-called civil war in, in Syria, those brigades, the Salafist Al-Qaeda brigades that entered from Jordan and from Turkey, they were protected right from day one by the Western Military Alliance and, of course, also by uh, the State of Israel. And uh, we even know that they were equipped in the use of chemical weapons. But despite the fact that, that the chemical weapons issue was, was then uh, used by the Obama administration to place the blame on, on uh, the government of Bashar al-Assad, blaming the government of killing its own people when in fact it's amply documented that these terrorists supported by the West, jihadist elements, are an instrument of the Western Military Alliance. They are the foot soldiers of the Western Military Alliance and they're sent in to create havoc and to undermine and destroy a sovereign country. 
I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Who Was Behind the Paris Attacks? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. In your article, The Attacks on Charlie Hebdo and the Kosher Grocery Store, Israel's Mossad to the Rescue, you have a picture of Netanyahu shaking hands with a wounded mercenary in the occupied Golan Heights. And uh, you've discussed uh, Israel's involvement with the jihadists in Syria. What about recent uh, United Nations vetoes of Palestinian membership in the ICC, the International Criminal Court? Does the situation of the Palestinians figure in the Paris attacks? Well, you see, I, I think that, that that's certainly an element. Um, now, some uh, analysts have raised this issue. The position of the U.S. government, uh, as we saw in the United Nations Security Council, was simply to veto Palestinian statehood and also to say that if Palestine uh, were to seek membership in the ICC, they would uh, face a curtailment of U.S. aid to Palestine. And so that, in effect, there you have a, a Palestinian entity uh, seeking statehood, which uh, wants to become member of, a, of an international criminal court, like many other countries, you know, more than 100 countries are members, and that is considered to be an aggressive act on the part of Palestine, Palestine hasn't said what they're going to do at the, at the ICC. They simply want to become members. But uh, it, of course, raises the fact, amply documented, that, uh, uh, that Israel has committed extensive war crimes. Now, I should mention, I was, I was member of the, the Kuala Lumpur War Crimes Commission, which uh, waged a legal procedure against the state of Israel. And a judgment was made pointing to the responsibility of the state of Israel as well as several members of the government uh, as responsible for, for war crimes. Uh, those war crimes are not committed by, uh, well, they, they're certainly executed by, by soldiers and, and military operatives, but ultimately the war criminals are those who actually give the orders. And so that we're dealing with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, the Defense Minister, uh, Moshe Yalon and, and, and other, other senior officials of, of the Israeli government who are responsible for extensive war crimes against the Palestinian people, not only recently, but historically, going back, of course, going back to Sabra Shatila. And uh, there have been many procedures, but now the fact that the United States would say we're going to veto that because we don't want the Palestinians we don't accept the fact that Israel could be subjected to a war crimes procedure. And so they're penalizing them and cutting off the flow of foreign aid. And so that, in effect, uh, the United States shows that it's complicit in, in U.S. war crimes. But now the, the issue uh, with regard to France is that France didn't. France uh, voted in favor, if I recall correctly, at the Security Council. They have not taken a position, the same kind of, extremist position to that of, of the United States 
uh, incidentally coupled with Australia and Canada, which also, I think, if I recall correctly, voted against that resolution. So that it, it may well be that this um, Charlie Hebdo terror attack uh, will be used with a view to twisting France uh, into a, an unbending support of war crimes committed by the State of Israel. What struck me as well is that in the course of the Paris um, rally on, on the following Sunday, uh, you had um, one member of the Israeli cabinet who was interviewed. He was interviewed on, on a French uh, TV network, and he was saying very categorically uh, that um, the Jewish community in France will be looked after by the state of Israel. We will come to your rescue, intimating that if your rights are not protected by the French government, we will come to your rescue. And if you want to come to Israel, you come to Israel. Now, this was interpreted, including by members of the Jewish community in France, as some kind of interference in the affairs of, of the French uh, Republic, uh, that a foreign power would say, well, we'll come to the rescue of you guys. Okay, I didn't see, uh, you know, Turkey coming to the rescue of the Muslims of France, okay? That would be the analogy. So that the state of Israel comes to the rescue of, uh, of the Jewish community in France, which is quite, which is quite uh, significant. And, and these people don't consider themselves as Israelis. They consider themselves as French. And uh, I think the community itself did react to that kind of insinuation. French President Francois Hollande had recently said that the sanctions against Russia should be terminated. Hollande was allying himself with French economic interests instead of with Washington's foreign policy. Do you think his statement has significance with regard to these Paris attacks? Well, I, I think there's certainly, you know, there's certainly some implications because Germany toes the line, at least Angela Merkel toes the line, uh, Britain, of course, toes the line because they're part of the Anglo-American axis and other European countries uh, may not have the clout to go against uh, the, the U.S. sanctions regime. But although there's, there's a certain amount of opposition, even, even the Czech, uh, the government of the Czech Republic intimated that these sanctions against Russia were, were bordering on the absurd. But the thing is that uh, ultimately what... Um, the United States is um, uh, intent upon doing is really breaking bilateral trade relations between the European Union and, and the Russian Federation. And historically, there have always been good relations between Russia and, and France. Uh, and uh, they've extended to a whole area of, of, of exchanges. Uh, so that event in Paris, the attacks on Charlie Hebdo, could be used to realign France into a more sort of kosher, if I could use the expression, a conformist uh, U.S. position, namely that, that the European Union uh, should uh, support unequivocally the sanctions regime and cease trading the, with the Russian Federation. And, and of course, there are very important financial interests underlying that because the French were selling uh, military equipment to, 
to Russia. These were multi-billion dollar contracts. And consequently, uh, what this signifies is that, that the United States wants to, to really prevent France from exerting any kind of, of economic sovereignty. I should mention, and that's very, very important, is that France is no longer an imperial power. And if you look at it historically, the United States has emerged as a major imperial power at the expense of France, largely at the expense of France. We're talking about Indochina, which uh, eventually, which the French lost their, their colonies in Indochina, and they, they lost their sphere of influence in Vietnam and Cambodia. Then, I mean, they're no longer considered as relevant. Uh, French used to be spoken in, in, in Laos, in, in Vietnam, in Cambodia, and now those, those countries are simply their proxy states, their frontiers, the, frontiers of the cheap labor global economy. Uh, the, the wages are something like $100 a month. The United States lost the Vietnam War, but in the wake of the Vietnam War and the collapse of the Soviet Union, those um, former French colonies are now within the in the U.S. sphere of influence to the extent that they even have um, defense cooperation agreements with Vietnam and Cambodia, which are their former, you know, their former enemies. So France is losing its colonies uh, also in uh, North Africa, in West Africa. You can see this happening uh, in Rwanda which was not a French colony, but it had very close ties to France and Belgium. And then uh, in the wake of the civil war in the 90s, Rwanda from one day to the next becomes a, an Anglophone country, okay? It's, it's a kind of a rather weird transition. Um, you know, English is the official language, French is no longer taught uh, in the schools. Uh, the university operates in English rather than in French. And, and there we are. And, and that is happening in other places. It's happening in Mali. It's happening in Niger, uh, where you, you have these insurrections. And essentially, there's a conquest of the African continent. Eventually, the presence of France will be weakened, inasmuch as also uh, the French head of state is a proxy. Uh, and and I, I would suggest that Sarkozy was a was a U.S. candidate. There's no question about it. He served U.S. interests. And I would suspect that Francois Hollande is also towing the line. Um, so all these issues are very much tied together. Uh, and, and indeed, the attacks on Charlie Hebdo, what they have unleashed now is, a, is an inquisitorial process, a, a, a crusade against Islam. Uh, a demonization of the Muslim population of France. Let us not forget, we're talking about 10% of the population, 10% of the population, and a much larger percentage uh, of the population of Paris, because they, they tend to be concentrated in the periphery of, of the metropolitan area, so that France's Muslims are being demonized, and this in turn is leading to a situation of, of chaos, of divisions, of destabilization within a European country. Uh, and um, we recall that that is how the United States uh, conquers uh, territory. They did it in Yugoslavia. 
creating divisions between uh, Croats and Serbs. Uh, they, they're doing it in Ukraine. They're doing it in, in, in uh, you know, they, of course, they've done it in, in Syria. They're doing it in Syria and, and Iraq. And uh, uh, this uh, campaign directed against the Muslim population uh, in Western countries uh, is, uh, of course, uh, also based on on beating the drums of war, of gaining popular support for a military agenda, a global war on terrorism, a, a war against uh, those who threaten Western civilization. And it is used to justify uh, a sequence of, of wars directed against Muslim countries. And, and that's, of course, that started uh, with uh, September 11, uh, which was immediately followed uh, by... Uh, by the invasion of Afghanistan, barely less than a month later, on, on the 7th of October. And <laughs> our Western uh, and U.S. military commentators failed to beg the question, uh, you don't uh, plan a large-scale military theater operation thousands of miles away in Afghanistan in a matter of three to four weeks. Okay, That's the way it was presented to us. In the wake of 9-11, uh, you know, we're going to wage a war of retribution against Afghanistan, which allegedly had attacked us on September 11, 2001. But that was part of the crusade against uh, Muslims. It started in 2001 because Muslims were allegedly responsible for bringing down the, the World Trade Center towers. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Who Was Behind the Paris Attacks? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Could the Paris attacks constitute an attack on all of Europe, not just France? That is, the subjugation of all of Europe? Well, what I've noticed is that in the wake of those attacks... Uh, there have been major changes in um, in uh, national security um, in in Britain. The report came in this morning to the fact that uh, internal uh, security has been tightened. Uh, that um, this is going to enable uh, Britain's uh, GC headquarters which is a d domestic spying apparatus, to be granted greater surveillance powers in the wake of the Paris attacks, uh, directed against the Muslim population, but also directed against people who oppose the, the war or the police state measures, so that there's a whole issue of civil rights uh, and, and that this... Uh, you know, that this event is going to, it's going to unleash a sort of fascist uh, tendency within Europe. Uh, in effect, uh, the Muslims in, in, in the European Union are being targeted in the same way as the Jews were targeted under the Third Reich. Uh, they are considered as, as uh, second-class citizens, they're discriminated against, and uh, the purpose of doing that uh, is really also to to harness uh, public opinion in favor of a war, a crusade 
uh, overseas, of course, against uh, countries in the Middle East. Uh, in other words, uh, Muslim countries. And, and the way you do that is that you say, well, we have our, our terrorists are here within, our, within the homeland, and at the same time we have to go and, of course, wage uh, uh, a peacemaking humanitarian crusade uh, in Iraq, Syria, Algeria, Morocco, uh, Mali, you know, uh, wherever there are Al-Qaeda-affiliated entities, we, we will be there. Now, it just so happens those Al-Qaeda-affiliated entities, whether it's Boko Haram, uh, where, whether it is uh, the Islamic State, or, or Jamaya Islami in Indonesia and Malaysia, all those, all those um, entities are creations of Western intelligence. And that's fairly well documented. So that the, the, the agenda essentially consists in setting these terrorist organizations loose in different countries and then intervening uh, under the pretext that you're coming to rescue these countries. And that's what's happening with Boko Haram in, in, uh, in Nigeria at this very moment. Um, sometimes they are the pretext for intervention. Um, and we can point to the Islamic State or to Boko Haram. Or alternatively, they are freedom fighters. And there we can point to Syria in the early period where uh, the, the Free Syrian Army was uh, supporting the terrorists. And of course, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Senator McCain was, was photo-opt together with, with these jihadist Al-Qaeda-affiliated terrorists. And so as long as that kind of understanding uh, does not trickle down to public opinion, uh, we're really, I, I think we're, we're in a, inquisitorial environment. In other words, people don't question the, the Spanish Inquisition. They don't question the U.S. Inquisition or the French Inquisition. Uh, they, they accept, uh, they are accepting, unequivocally accepting without any, uh, you know, nuance, uh, the official uh, version of events. They believe what the media is telling them, or they don't dare to, to question the consensus underlying these media reports. Uh, they, uh, they are there saying freedom of expression, Charlie Hebdo, je suis Charlie Hebdo, without realizing that Charlie Hebdo precisely has contributed to reinforcing uh, media propaganda and, and censorship. Uh, because, as I mentioned, uh, <laughs> many of the key events which, which uh, ultimately indicate the nature of, of this uh, terrorist attack uh, are simply not made public. Uh, and most people in France are not aware of the fact that their own government is supporting the terrorists uh, or the terrorist organizations, which um, are being singled out as responsible for, uh, for these attacks. So I think what is important is to ask the following question. Who are the terrorists? Those who commit the terrorist acts or those who finance and support the terrorists, namely state-sponsored terrorism? And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with state-sponsored terrorism,
uh, covert operations. And there's ample evidence to that effect, um, both within Western countries as well as, of course, more visibly in the areas where there's military intervention, e.g. Syria and Iraq, um, Pakistan, uh, North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, and beyond. The terrorist attacks on the comic newspaper in Paris, uh, Charlie Hebdo, has widely been described as a military-style attack. And, of course, in the video, we see these uh, black-covered men. Their faces are covered. We really don't know who these men were. I mean, there's no real evidence who was behind these black masks. Is that correct? Well, that, that's, certainly, that's certainly correct. There's absolutely no evidence to the fact that these masked men are those uh, three individuals who were killed uh, and who were identified as alleged suspects, other than the fact that they found his ID there just scattered around in the, in the car, in the getaway car. Uh, there's absolutely no evidence to that effect. And um, what I think uh, was revealing is that uh, the first reports pointed to the fact that this was undertaken by, by gunmen who were very well trained. They were equipped with, with uh, advanced weapons, uh, you know, Kalachnikov or whatever, and they, they, they conducted themselves as if they were special forces, okay? Now, we don't know who they are. We don't know who they are other than, than the fact that these three suspects have been identified. We don't know anything about them. Now, if we're talking about the, the sort of official suspects, of course, they're all dead. So they can't, they can't tell their story. Um, now, if we uh, talk about those three suspects, there's all sorts of links uh, to French intelligence, and uh, French police, in other words, they've been under the radar of the security and intelligence forces for years. And as I mentioned, one of them actually had a meeting with, with, uh, with Sarkozy, okay? So, I, I mean, of course, I think there are two elements. One has to ask, are these individuals the terrorists that attacked Charlie Hebdo? We don't know, okay? And secondly... Assuming they were or they weren't, um, how is it that these individuals were on the radar of French intelligence and uh, that one of them had actually had, uh, had a meeting with, with a former uh, head of state? And is it relevant? Is it relevant that uh, the Paris terror suspect Amadi Koulibaly met... Uh, French President Nicolas Sarkozy in 2009—it's—it's—it's—it's uh, uh, something which is, in a sense, is somewhat weird. Uh, when uh, Amadi Koulibaly, who's a suspect, he's dead now. He had a, a meeting with with Sarkozy. He was um, greeted by Sarkozy in relation to some kind of uh, of uh, employment creation uh, project. Okay where the, the French president would uh, help uh, people get jobs in a local factory, okay? So 
for me, it's a very unlikely encounter. Why is it that a French president would meet somebody who is pretty much marginal, unemployed, uh, you know, living in a ghetto, and then uh, that he would say, well, we are going to help him get a job and, and set up a community project in a Paris suburb, okay? It, it, it just doesn't make sense because if, if such were the case of the French Republic or the French presidency in assisting employment creation in the French suburb, they wouldn't have a discussion. First of all, the French president wouldn't be involved. It would be some kind of entity, a, a social welfare entity, which would be uh, involved in that, in that project. No, the meeting took place uh, in 2009 in the Elysee Palace. Uh, it's absurd. I mean, what is even more absurd is that nobody mentions it in the, in the French media. Well, exactly. And you've mentioned the whole hypocrisy of the freedom of expression meme that's being propagated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if, if we are to, to implement freedom of expression, one would expect that uh, French journalists will be allowed to do their job, that they will be allowed to, to start digging beneath the surface, okay? But that, that's what investigative reporting is, okay? You dig beneath the surface. You say, what, is, what are the political implications of this? The same thing is what we're discussing now, but we're not investigative reporters in France uh, with, uh, with a mandate to go out and make a fact-finding analysis of what's going on. But uh, essentially the journalists, what, what have they done? They have simply waited for the official statements and they have more or less copied and pasted, okay? Now, uh, as I mentioned, the case of the suicide of one of the, of the police investigators, the police chief in a, in a major region of France, he commits suicide. Well, their response is simply, we don't talk about it. We don't mention it until five days later. And then we say, no, it has nothing to do with it. Well, they didn't even say that. They, they just described it and, and uh, pointed to the, the fact that the police... Uh, Judicial police presented condolences. Okay, and now that is the the kind of you know absence of investigative factual reporting. If a police, you know, if a police investigator into Charlie Hebdo commits suicide a few hours after he is debriefed by his police associates, that is newsworthy. Normally, it should be newsworthy because it it has something to do with the event itself and it has to be revealed. But I, I suspect that there is some kind of a cover-up, okay? And then the burnout story then becomes the, you know, the new normal there, that, that he was suffering from a burnout because he had met the family of, of one of the victims. Uh, they don't say who that family was. Uh, it just so happens it's in a remote region of France. Most of the victims are not from that region. I went through the them one by one, they're not from Limoges in the Haute-Vienne, which is, it's really sort of provincial. It's like, you know, uh, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, or something of that order uh, from the French. It's very far from the metropolis. So, again, it, it's something to investigate, but they are presenting a story which is an obvious falsification, because their job as journalists would be to go out Go there, find out what happened, and uh, examine the causes of his 
of his death. Uh, and, and again, there are so many loose ends in, in the coverage of Charlie Hebdo. And uh, it's very important that we understand, and that's the key central issue, uh, namely that terrorism is a process which is sponsored by Western governments and the intelligence services. It's called state-sponsored terrorism. And consequently, the state uh, is the instrument behind these terrorists. That is well established. And what the whole Charlie Hebdo process suggests is that the French president and his colleagues from different countries, including the state of Israel, are there to protect the French public against terrorism when, in fact, they are covertly supporting those terrorist organizations. Michel Chosodovsky, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm delighted to be on the program. I've been speaking with Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show has been Who Was Behind the Paris Attacks? Michel Chosodovsky is director of the Center for Research on Globalization, based in Montreal, Quebec. The Global Research website, globalresearch.ca, publishes news articles, commentary, background research, and analysis. Michel Chosodovsky is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism, as well as co-editor of the anthology The Global Economic Crisis, The Great Depression of the 21st Century. All books are available at globalresearch.ca. That's globalresearch.ca. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email me at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. That's F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Visit our transitional website at gunsandbutter.org to sign up for our email list. Follow us at G&B Radio.